have you ever wondered why the Bible is so confusing to understand? Or why Genesis is at the beginning and Revelation is at the end? You ever been curious as to why there's a New Testament and an Old Testament? Or what does that even mean? Well, I'm sure these are all questions that some of us have all asked at some point. So that's what Bible school is all about. We're going to go through the Bible and we're going to talk about the semantics of what, the why, the how, and most importantly, the who. If you'll ride this out with me, we're going to go cover to cover through the Bible and dig deep and see the mysteries that God has revealed to us through this beautiful love letter that he calls his word. You've just tuned in to Bible School with Reverend Kojo. Hey, good folks. Welcome to Bible School. Y'all, I'm so happy to be back. I know we've gone. We went through Christmas and the new year, and we didn't we didn't really release much of anything, but we are back and back with a vengeance. I've spent much of the day getting ready just for you all, um, and we found a lot of good stuff here in the book of Genesis. Yes, we are still in Genesis, but we are making headway. We are in chapter 25 today. Um, and there there are a lot of great riches in chapters 25, 26, 27, 28. We're gonna dig through them. Now, I'm not really entirely sure how far we'll get in this episode, but I am prepared to go for a few chapters, and so we're going to go and go until we can't go anymore. Um, but we are, we are we find ourselves in chapter 25, and we find these words in verse 1, and it says, Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jackson, Medan, Midian, Ishbek, and Shua. So before we even go any further, I think it's first important that we notice that the gifts of God come without repentance. We know that's scriptural. And then we see it play out right here with Abraham. Abraham is an old man. He's not even like kind of old, like he's incredibly old. He is um, he is well beyond uh, childbearing. And we know that, you know, we know men. They, they reproduce for years and years to come, but after some while, it just doesn't seem to work anymore. But, but the gift of God, the gift of virility that God gave him when he restored his virility was a gift, and it was a gift indeed. Uh, the God gave him the gift so that Isaac would be born and the lineage of the Messiah would be perceived, and that that's where it would come from. But just because God gives you a gift doesn't mean that you only have to use it for that one thing. And we can just look at it like this. God can give you the gift of public speech um, and he may call you to preach, but that doesn't mean that the call to be able to speak or the ability to speak before people goes away when you're not talking about the word. Um, God may have anointed you to be a minstrel, uh, to play music, play music for the church. And, and you may be very anointed and may be able to usher the spirit of the Lord into the present, into the church. And people may be able to be saved up under your tutelage, but that doesn't mean that you are you can't play classical or jazz. The gifts of God come without repentance. Now, and, and that's, that's just like we look at, there, there are several people in, in uh, popular music that, that will leave gospel and go sing R&B, or they will leave uh, R&B and come sing gospel. The gift that God gave is indeed the gift that God gave, okay? Now, we know that the anointing may come when you sing praises to him or you sing of his good works, uh, but the, the gift, the actual ability to do the carnal Whatever it is, uh, whatever your gift may be, we know it comes without repentance. Um, and so we, we see that with Abraham, even though Sarah's dead, you know, last chapter we we buried her. We watched him go through the proper process to buy the land. And we see that that land is going to be in the family for years and years to come. It's going to be a, a memorial for the people to come back and to see what God has done and the promises that he has made. 
Um, and it's, that was actually the only land that Abraham bought in his whole life, which is wild, right? But we see that the gifts of God are without repentance. When God gives you something, and, and I want y'all to watch this, when God gives you a gift, the gift is not contingent on what you're going to do after that. The gift is, is, is a gift. And, and, and that, that, you know, that's something we should think about as people. When we give somebody a gift, you can't renege on the gift because they don't do what you said because you can't call it a gift then. You may have an agreement, uh, but if you give somebody a gift, it doesn't matter what they do with the gift. It doesn't matter how they, they decide to steward the gift. The gift was a gift. And so once it has left your hands, it is indeed theirs. Um, but that, and that's how God works. Now, ble- the blessing business is a little different. And some covenant is is a little different. You know, some covenant is conditional and some covenant is unconditional. We know that his love is unconditional, so it doesn't matter what you do, he's going to love you. But we know that salvation is conditional. You have to confess and believe in, in order to obtain salvation. We also know that his benefits that the word talks about, that it requires righteousness. And so we can go on and on and on about how the difference between gifts and blessing and, and gifts and different agreements. But a gift especially when it comes from God. Uh, once he has given it to you, he's given it to you. Now, if you don't steward your gift and you tarnish it, you taint it, or you break it, that's on you. Uh, but once he has given it to you, it's yours. And what you do with it is your business. Okay? But we, we move on. Um, uh, verse 3 says, Joxon begot Sheba and Dedan. And the sons of Dedan were Ashuyim, uh, Ludashim, and Luam. Now this seem now here here's where it gets a little interesting. You remember we talked about the difference between Isaac and Ishmael. And from Isaac comes the Jewish uh line and from the Jewish line comes Jesus, which inevitably births Christianity because Jesus was the Christ. Um and so people seem to think that there's a superiority to to the, the, the Isaac's line. Um and in in many ways it is and and I believe that all all together but at this point we what we see is that there are people that Abraham's other children that have come from his other wife. And look, this is, this is really interesting to me that come from his other wife, go mingle with Ishmael. So even then Isaac is set apart and we're going to see even further how he's set apart here in verse five. But Isaac is set apart because all the other brothers want to hang out together. They don't have anything in common. Uh, the one thing that Isaac, Isaac has is that he came from Sarah, the wife that he loved, the wife that was uh, betrothed to him by God, um, the, the wife that God set apart and said that, that this is the line through which I want uh, my son to come from. Um, but we see that, that, that they're in, intermingling with the sons of Ishmael. But this is also a, a fulfillment of the many nations promise. You remember a few chapters back, we saw that God promised him that he would make him the father of many nations. And so even if Ishmael would have never been born or never been a thing, we, I'm led to believe that Abraham would have still taken Keturah and would have still had these other boys and we would still see the things going on. Now, I don't believe there would be chaos in uh, the Middle East because that chaos in the Middle East, it, it spurred out of the dissension that was between Sarah and Hagar, which inevitably moved um, to Isaac and Ishmael. But that and, and that's where it comes from. And, and, and when people talk about it, they think they can solve the issues in the Middle East, baby, this goes back thousands of years <laughs> to biblical times. This is a blood thing. <laughs> this is a this is a uh, um, this is this goes deeper than the things that we can see today. And a lot. And, and, and if you don't study scripture and you don't study religious history, you will miss it. 
And that's why a lot of people think they can get in, in, in office and they can fix the things that are going on in the Middle East. But if you haven't been a student of Scripture, you'll miss why there's so much chaos. That chaos is not going to be fixed until after Christ has come and ruled on the earth. And so um, <laughs> I think it's, it's incredibly interesting. But we see this as a fulfillment of the many nations promise. Uh, so, yes, Ishmael in in. I guess is the first fulfillment and he wasn't really supposed to be because Abraham was never supposed to go to Egypt because he was supposed to have faith. But, you know, like all of us, we all take derailments and we all go the wrong way. And when we at some point in our lives and we there are consequences that we have to pay. And so that's the consequence. Not only did Abraham have to pay, but at, we're paying it thousands of years later. So we find we, we, we find ourselves here, though. Um, we find ourselves here. That this fulfillment of this many nations, remember the Lord said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And so many nations would require that Abraham would have had some other children. Now, whether they came from Sarah or where they came from, there was a requirement on many nations. Okay, so Isaac obviously births Israel. Um, and, and we're all familiar with them because out of Isaac's comes Jacob and Jacob has 12 boys. Um, and then from the 12 boys, they get the 12 tribes of Judah. And that is how we know, uh, the Israelites. We know that Ishmael has birthed the Muslim faith. Uh, one of the, you know, all three major world religions come out of the, uh, the loins of Abraham. But we also see these other folks, you know, Midianites that the Midian is still a country. Like y'all think about that. Uh, uh, Sudan is still a country. We hear about the queen of Sheba. Sheba is still a place. Um, and all of these, these places will co come from the loins of Abraham. And so this was a fulfillment of what God promised. Um, and what was really interesting to me, you know, we talked about the table of nations and we talked about specific countries that came about. Um, but not only do we get to look back in Genesis and see the specific countries, but we can start to see the, the birth of different religious sects and religions that are contrary to what we believe now. And, and I want you to hold on to this. Hold on to this. That these things, these people, these organ, these portions of people who were worshiping God and were not Jewish were not in sin. OK, they were not Jewish. But Ju see, Judaism was a matter of birthright. OK, and and it was a, because it was a matter of birthright, you served God and you followed his laws because you were sanctified. You were set apart. But the Gentiles also worship God. Um, uh, they also worship God in, in a manner that um, they also worship the same God. And, and because there was not an intercessor, there was no Jesus at this point. They worship God just about as, as, as much as they could fulfill. So it wasn't an issue, but Christ was the gift that unified the Jew and the Gentile. And so Christ, the whole purpose of Christ was, A, to grant salvation because we're jacked up people and we were, we're never going to be good enough to fulfill uh, perfection and to be able to meet the standard of God. But it also unified, the purpose of Christ was to give an option to unify the earth. Okay, so you've got all of these nations, and, and I think this is amazing. You've got all of these nations that have come out of the womb of Abraham that are, that are worshiping our God in some form, but they, don't, they may not accept our Christ. Okay, and because, you know, a lot of people believe in the higher power, and I guess if you believe in the higher power, you believe that there is a God that exists. Okay, there are scientists who believe in the higher power, a God that exists. So a lot of people don't displace his power or his deity or his ability, but they don't want to subscribe to the method by which you can get to him. Uh, but at this point in history and at this point in the word, it was okay to be any of these because it was a matter of your birth. 
Um, and if you missed it by a matter of your birth and you didn't, when Christ came later, several thousand years later, and you didn't accept Christ, that's when you found an issue. Though, you know, the fact that Christ is the way, the truth, and life, that didn't come until he came. Okay, so at this point, you're not in sin if you're not a Jew, because being a Jew was a matter of birth. Okay, if you didn't come from the, the late, from Isaac, you, there was no way you could be a Jew. Okay. If you didn't come from, from, um, these different, cause, and even, even today, Jews don't like to incorporate other people into their religion because they believe it is a right and privilege by birth. Now, there are some people who do convert to Judaism these days. And you saw a few people that they would incul inculcate back then, but it was not, ex it was not widely acceptable and it's not widely accepted that now in their faith. Um, but moving right along, um, and then he goes on and the sons of, um, Midian were Ephah, Ephah, Hanuk, Abida, Elda, and all these were the children of Keturah. So he, he's got all these boys. He has several boys. Um, he has several boys and we don't know how many girls he has, but he has fulfilled, he has fulfilled the promise that you're going to be the father of many nations. Not only am I going to give you the Israelites, not only will they come from the seed and not only will they be the ones that united all in the end, not only am I giving you all of these things, but you know, there are going to be several nations on this earth that will come from you. You will be father Abraham, not just to the Jew, not just to the Christian, but to the Muslim and to several other sects and, and, and religious groups on earth. And so I, I think it is absolutely amazing because, and y'all know, I'm, I'm really a big, I really believe this. I believe all history and I believe all science points right back to God. And when people want to argue that fact, we can get back here. We can pull out a history book and pull this thing parallel and watch how it unfolds and how this love story overlaps y'all. It's absolutely amazing. Verse five, pay attention here. Verse five says, and Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. So I just read out all these kids that he had, right? <laughs> I just read all these kids that he, that he had, but he gave everything to Isaac. It wasn't even like the birthright, right? So, you know, like, and we'll talk about the birthrights probably next time when we get into uh, Genesis 26 or 27. Uh, but we start talking, when we start talking about the birthright, the way that they would do that is whatever the dad had, how many boys he had, he would divide that out, that number out. He would add one, and whatever he, however he divided it out, the oldest would get a double portion. He didn't even do that for Isaac. Isaac got the entire estate. There was no birthright. There was nothing else for anybody else. It all went to Isaac because Isaac was the one in which it all hinged on. As far as God was concerned, Isaac was the one that was going to carry out the plan. I promise to make you the father of many nations. I promise to do this, but I promise to do it through Isaac, and Isaac is the chosen one. Um, and, <laughs> and so, which kind of takes us, it takes us back to, um, it, it kind of, it parallels in Hebrews 1, 2, where it says, Hath in the last days spoken to us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Now, you remember, I, I've been saying that Genesis is not only a book of record, but it's a book of prophecy. So we're, we're seeing prophecy happening through Isaac for Christ, okay? Isaac, Isaac is, is a model of Christ. He's not Christ, but he's a model of what Christ would be. So he's, you know... He's everything goes to him, you know, when we look at, but then y'all, when we go to Romans 8, 20, 30, and you remember the scripture says, and, and those he predestined, he also called and those he called, he also justified and those he justified, he also glorified. Well, check this out. You know, he predestined Abraham. Abraham was a pagan man. And he predestined that Abraham would be his own. 
He calls. So the, so Abraham is predestined to be the father of many nations at his birth. Okay. And then, so he, when he predestined him, he called Isaac through his loins. Isaac gets the call. Um, and, and, and so Isaac is getting everything, uh, in becoming the heir of all things from his father. He's also becoming the heir of, of this high calling and this culmination of what he's promising through his father's loins. In just a little bit, we're going to see that he's going to be justified through Jacob. Okay, and Jacob is going <laughs> to Jacob is going to have the 12 tribes that it is from it is from Isaac's son Jacob that we'll see the actual um tribes become beginning to be formed through them. And then we'll see through Jacob's favorite son, uh we'll see Joseph coming about. And so, you know, and, and, and just then, and that's where he's going to get glorified. You know, we get to Joseph. I love that story. We start talking about that. It's, it's absolutely amazing. And, and if you'll just stick with me, I promise I'm going to tie these things together. We'll be sure to revisit Romans 830 as we progress through these four men. And we see that this faith come together, but moving right along verse six, but Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward away from Isaac, his son to the country of the East. So even in all of this, I have moved on. My wife is deceased. I've, I've started a new life, but I still am remembering that Isaac is important. I've got to still separate. And this is like, I remember we, again, our, our Genesis is, not only a book of record, but is a book of prophecy. He's separating the other boys from Isaac, just like he's going to do to Israel. He's going to separate Israel from the rest of the world. There are going to be standards on Israel that everybody else can't can't abide by. Everybody might be, a lot of folks might be bowing to God. They might consider themselves Gentiles and they may not be pagan because, you know, that's an issue. And they may be worshiping the one true God, but they don't have those requirements on them. And because they don't have those requirements on we see often they are, are written off and they're not relevant. And for most all intents and purposes, usually for study, they're not until a certain place, you know, a few places. Um, and But they can get, you know, the Gentile gets real relevant when we get to the New Testament. But, but for the Old Testament purposes, not so much. Okay. All right. Verses, verse seven. This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last breath and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. And his son Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the field of Ephron and the son of Zohar, the Hittite. So here's, here's one, one important part. You remember that whenever Isaac would appear, Ishmael had to leave. They, didn't, they did not get along. And that was a huge precursor for what is going on in the Middle East now. That's why the uh, Muslims are really upset with the Jews wanting to make Israel, <laughs> you know, the headquarters, you know, headquarters and, and, and the capital. That's, you know, why we see all of these issues, why there's issues with around surrounding Jerusalem, because everybody wants to claim Jerusalem because everybody knows it's the Holy Land because we're all serving this. Well, most of us are serving the same God. But there's this issue surrounding this this need for the birthright because the Ish Ishmaelite or the Muslim uh, are still a little bit bitter because they were the firstborn, but God chose to use Isaac, and so <laughs> and so even even today we see the issues of the hatchet that was not buried between them back here in Genesis 25, 24, and and earlier chapters, and it's still playing out in the Middle East today. These these lineages are from thousands and thousands of years and they still are upset with one another, right? So we see, um, 
But we see that they bury the hatchet long enough to get their father in the ground. I think that's that's something we can take note of. These dudes hated each other. They were brothers. They got the same daddy. Hated each other for, for how they feel like their father handled things or how God handled things. And, and, and different religions and different uh bloodlines came from them and we see com- the the largest world the three largest world religions come from these three dudes right so we see all these issues coming before them but they got along long enough to get their daddy in the ground and and i think that is that is something that a lot of us can use because we when funerals happen people all these pent-up emotions and folks want to be upset with each other and we ain't talked in years and I ain't going to do right. And we arguing and I, yeah, you, you, you know, everybody's nagging and you got all these issues, but these dudes who are still like their, their seed is still fighting thousands of years later could bury the hatchet long enough to get their father in the ground. If they can do it, you can do it. It's a maturity thing. It's a maturity thing to say, Hey, I can't stand you. And really you should forgive them, but that's another talk for another day. But they said, I can't stand you, but I love my daddy. And because I love my daddy, we're going to honor his memory and we're going to get him in the ground. So they buried him in the land that he bought the last chapter when Sarah died. OK, um, verse 10. Um, yeah, verse 10. The field which Abraham purchased from his son, the sons of Heth, the, there Abraham was buried and Sarah, his wife. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son, Isaac. And Isaac dwelt there at Beer Lahai Rawai. OK, so. What's interesting, now check this out, check this out. What's interesting is that Isaac doesn't have 12 sons. His son, Jacob, will have 12 sons. And Ishmael will have 12 sons. Next, in the next chapter, we'll see uh, when she gets pregnant. Actually, no, no. In just a few verses, we're going to see that when, uh, when uh, Isaac's wife gets pregnant with the, the twin boys, from whence uh, the 12 tribes of Judah, Judah are going to come from. She says then there are two na- nations in your, uh, your womb. There we see, again, prophecy uh, fulfilled of the many nations coming from him. He's going to be the father of many nations, even in his son's womb. You know, there's two nations warring at one another. Um, twin, twin boys, twin children, ch- children that are sharing the womb are fighting before they even make their debut here on earth. Um, which, you know, that's not necessarily encouraging, but it is fulfillment of, of, of prophecy. But, you know, Isaac doesn't have 12 sons. Jacob has 12 sons. But check this out. Ishmael has 12 sons, too. Um, and there are 12 tribes in the Muslim faith, just like there are 12 tribes in the, in the Jewish faith. Um, and the only place we really see 24 is when we start talking about the, the uh, priest, y'all. It, it gets kind of deep. It gets, it's, it's actually really interesting to me. But verse 20. Isaac was 40 years when he took Rebekah as his wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian, Paden Aram, uh, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Laban is going to be important in just a little while. Now, Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. There's a lot of that going on, right? Um, the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah was his wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire the Lord. So she is having a rough time in this pregnancy. I mean, it's taking a toll on her. It's hurting her body. Them children won't sit still. She's trying to figure out what's going on. It look, feel like World War I is going on in her body. And it's literally what is, what's happening. Uh, you got these nations, these babies, these babies who are not even completely formed that are 
a warring in the body, in the body. And it's like a precursor or uh, it's a precursor to what is this, what they're going to be like when they come to the earth. And so she asks God, she says, if all is well in my body, why, why am I feeling like this? And before I get to what God says to her, sometimes I feel like we get to this place where we're like, God, if everything is okay in my life, why does I, why do I feel like this? If I'm sitting here, God, and I'm looking at my wife and I'm looking at my husband, why is it that our life really feels like we're in a bad place, God? Why is it that we're sitting here in this position and, 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 and you haven't spoken, but we feel like we've been left, God? You said you wouldn't leave me or forsake me. I don't think you've left me, but I feel like you've left me. And so she's sitting here right now. She's like, like, God, you blessed me to conceive. At first I couldn't conceive. Now I've conceived. And these thing, these babies on the inside, this baby on the inside of me is acting up. Cause she, at this point, I don't think she knows she has twins. So she's like, what in the world is going on? And this is what God says in verse 23. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people will be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Which is really interesting how, you know, it, when we, we start talking about what happens and how things unfold, how the older is going to be stronger, but the older is going to have to serve the younger. And it's going to seem as though he was slighted and it was stolen from him, but not quite, not quite what happens. So when her days were fulfilled, verse 24, so when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, the twins were in her womb. And then the first one came out red. Now, we're going to hold on to this word red. The word red is going to be important. Now, I also want you to remember that red means Edom. And and the words Edom or Edomite and red are going to go hand in hand because we're going to come back to that. And he was like a hairy garment all over this baby that came out hairy. He looked like a a werewolf. (laughs) And so they called his name Esau, which literally is translated hairy one. Uh, Verse 26, afterward, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Verse 27, so the boys grew and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. Now, when we start thinking about Esau, Esau was a man's man. Esau liked to hunt. If Esau lived in today's times, he probably liked football. He probably played football. He was probably like the most beastly guy on the field. When you saw him coming, you probably got nervous yourself, even if you were the biggest football fanatic yourself. Esau was the guy who was out there who, if you saw him coming, you weren't going to mess with his little brother because he was going to beat you up. Esau was this big old, rough, tough, burly looking guy. Later in scripture, we're going to see where (laughs) basically scripture is going to tell us he stinks. Uh, he He was a man's man. Um, And Jacob was no such thing. (laughs) Jacob was no such thing. While Esau was a skillful hunter, uh, Jacob was a mild man. He lived, he was inside. He was the indoors guy. He liked to hang out with mama. He was good with cooking and spending time in the kitchen. Uh, that Jacob, you know, if we had to imagine, Jacob was a guy who liked to sit in the hall, in the house and study and he knit and he was all about keeping his hands uh, clean. But Esau was not. Esau was was not that at all. As a matter of fact, scripture describes him as being a skillful hunter. The only other hunter at this point in the scripture that, that's, that's described is Nimrod. And we know Nimrod was not a good guy. We know that Nimrod was like the world's first dictator. When we talked about him in the Table of Nations, like he was not a good guy. He was not a holy guy. He did not walk with God. <laughs> there is no reason for us to get excited about him like Nimrod was not a good guy. And so the parallel of the two is kind of not 
positive, right? And so um, we see that if Esau was a man of the field, Scripture also says. Now, when we know we look at Scripture and it talks about the sower and the seed, uh, it suggests, it, it kind of suggests to us when they say he's a man of the field, it suggests that Esau was a man of the world, that Esau was a carnal man, that Esau was uh, what, as somebody who was carnal would say, he's a, he was a realist. Uh, Esau was a man who, who needed to feel and touch the thing. He wasn't all about fancy promises and fancy agreements. Esau wanted to touch it, to feel it, and to seal it. And if he couldn't do those things, he wasn't real to him. Uh, where Jacob was an indoorsy guy, he was more so a, a mama's boy. Uh, the reef, the the Hebrew word for the for here for calm or mild means perfect, pious, or amiable, which is really interesting to me because we're going to see real soon that he was not perfect. Um, he may have been amiable, but the things that he did was not amiable. They didn't come acro- across as polite to me. Uh, but the word here in the, in the Hebrew means that he was he was perfect, mild, pious, amiable. Uh, he was the one through whom. Things were meant to go through, uh, but he was a good. He was a shyster. Oh man, he was a shyster. That boy was not honest. He he was not. You know, like I would I would even even in my analysis of scripture, Esau comes across as a stand up guy. He don't come across as the like the most spiritual person or spiritual at all, but he comes across as this guy who was a stand-up guy, and Jacob looked like he was real flagrant. He was really about getting around and getting what he wanted at any means possible, and we kind of see that happen. But we see that the, the, even though he's a shyster, and we're going to see what he does here in a minute, he's going to get his retribution uh, after a while. Now, verse 28, I think this is important. Isaac loved Esau. Daddy loved Esau he, 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 because he ate of his game. You know, they, they could relate on some things. They had an opportunity to bond, and there were a lot of things that they got along over. So Isaac was looking forward to handing over his birthright to Esau. Esau was his firstborn. Esau was his prized possession. Sure, he got twin boys, but Esau was his boy. Uh, but Rebecca loved Jacob. And so Jacob, Rebecca did everything in her power to look out for Jacob. Now, we know parents, usually they're not supposed to say that they got favorites, but it's very apparent here that they these parents had favorites. And it was quite clear who was down for who. Um, and so we see here where Isaac and Esau are divided before they even get, um, before they even get born. So we're about to talk about birthrights. And before we get in scripture, I think this, there's a few things we need to establish about a birthright. Okay. So the birthright is often goes to the first son, nine times out of 10, it's going to go to the first son. Now there are a few times in scripture where it does not go to the first son. Uh, like it doesn't go to Reuben, Jacob's son, uh, because Reuben was like a, he was having some incestual relationships and that was kind of nasty. Um, and obviously here it's not going to go, but this story is kind of jacked up and a little jank, but I still think the will of God goes forth. I don't think it would have made it into the Bible if it didn't. Um, and we're going to talk about that when we get through the story. Um, but the oldest, the birthright came with the oldest was to be the head of the family when daddy died and to be the priest. So let's think about that because for those of us who are the heads of our households, I'm the head of my household. Um, my father's the head of his household, the household I came from. Um, and, and the men and men in the singles are, are the head of their households. So if you're single, you're the head of your household. Um, and if you're married and you're the man, you're, you're the head of your household. Um, but the head of your household came, comes with a responsibility. And a lot of us understand the head part. You know, you're supposed to provide, you're supposed to pay the bills, you're supposed to make sure that everybody in your house is taken care of. But a lot of us miss this piece about being the priest of the family. 
To be the priest of the family means that you're responsible for the souls. See, on a, on a, I guess on a carnal level, we get it because you're, it means you're the covering. So on a carnal level, we understand you got to put the roof over their head. On a carnal level, you understand that you've got to take care of some things. On a carnal level, it means that the bills need to be paid and it's your responsibility. On a carnal level, it means that your children, the way they behave, you don't want them out there embarrassing you. And so whether you or your wife handles it, uh, it the way that they behave is 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 important to you. But see, to be the priest of the family means that you are concerned with the state of their soul. To be the priest of the family means that you are making sure that they're in the word, that they're praying, that they're covered if they're not in the word. Um, and, and I think a lot of people in today's age, and I can't speak for prior ages because I wasn't there. Um, but I think to, in today's age, uh, some people will understand what it means to be the head, but they don't, we don't, we fail miserably at being the priest. Um, and then the, another thing about the birthright in order to get the birthright. Now, you remember, I told you that if a father has five sons, that he divide his estate into six pieces, the younger four boys will get a piece of it, get, get a piece. And the oldest will get a double portion. That's why you divide it six ways among five children. He gets a double portion of his father's estate. Um, but I believe he gets the double portion because he has a greater responsibility so not only is he the head of the household now, now he is charged with covering them and being the priest. And so there is responsibility that often people uh, neglect to understand and to appreciate and to realize that comes with being the head. Because not only now the target, the, tar- the covering that you're, you were once under, you're no longer under and you become the covering, which is why it's so important to submit yourself to Christ so that he can cover you. And so many of us try to we try to do it on our own. And so we want to cover ourselves and we want to rule by our rules. And we want to live this way and live that way because I can do it my way because it's my house, my rules. And we don't understand that that covering that we get from Christ keeps us from harm and it keeps us from danger. That's why it's important to declare and to decree no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And we can hold on to that in Christ. But we say all of that, I say all of that to say this, that it's there, there are responsibilities that come with being the priest and the head of the family. Uh, but but we, all of this is wonderful. All of this is great. But it's only legit once confirmed by the father. Now, you'll grow up knowing that your birthright, you're going to get the birthright. You'll grow up knowing that you're going to grow up and you're going to have these things and that you're going to get the double portion because you're the oldest. But the father has the right to switch it up and do what he what, what he wants. He can give it to the second born or he can give it to the, the last child if he wants to. It's accustomed. That's the custom to uh, give it to the oldest. But really, at the end of the day, the daddy can do what he wants to do. Uh, it is it is up to him who does he decides to convey such the special gift to. So in verse nine, we're going to start talking about the birthright and what happens with Jacob and Esau and the birthright and how things play out. Verse 29. Now, Jacob cooked a stew. I told you he was an inside boy. And Esau came in from the field and he was weary. I think one version said he was famished. I think another version said he was starving. Now, they believe that it was a lentil soup. And if you know anything about lentils, you know that lentils are very filling. They're very, very, um, they, if you're really famished, they'll fill you up really quick and make you feel better. 
Um, it's really believed that he was more than just hungry, but that he was extremely famished, that he was so hungry that he may have been at the point of death. Now, how hungry he really was, we really only have the scriptures to infer. Um, and so we'll just believe he, you know, Esau is talking like he's really hungry. So we're going to believe that he was really hungry and that he may have been at the point of death. Verse 30. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me that the same red stew, for, uh, that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, he called his name Edom. Now, you remember, we're going to remember Edom and Red. Red and Edom mean the same thing. You remember you remember that Esau came out uh, red and hairy. Uh, and, and later, his descendants will be referred to as the Edomites. Okay? That's important. Um, and, and when we look at this, you remember we said that he was a man of the field. He was a man of the world. Often red points to sin. Now, we know the blood was red and that it covered us for a multitude of sins. But prior to that, when the, there was water turning to blood and all kind of stuff, <laughs> it wasn't necessarily a positive thing. Okay, verse 31. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. So Jacob was a, was a shyster. You see, your brother is starving. Now, you, your brother's keeper, we know how went through this with Cain and Abel. They know already screwed up royally. But even in their screwing up royally, you done missed the point. You know over here, you're taking advantage of your brother. And, and it doesn't make what Esau says not, next right. But you're taking advantage of your brother in his hungered state. And you make him sell your birthright because you're stingy. And because you, you know, because if God, God, if, you know, we already know that Jacob was ordained to have for this line to come from him. We know that the blessings are going to come from him. We know that God has already ordained it that way, that, 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 it, it, that the Jews were coming from Jacob. If it is the will of God that they were coming from Jacob, why? Why do you have to steal it? So many times, now y'all watch this. So many times we see the promise. We heard the promise. God promised that he told us that he was going to do it for us. He told us he was going to move the mountain for us. He said, just sit still. Or he said, just go do this. And we take it upon ourselves to step out and to do everything that he told us not to do, to go and try to be uh, do backhanded deals. And see, and then we take away the power of the miracle that he could perform because we did something back with the back door. I'm willing to bet. Now, we're about to see what Jacob says, what Esau responds, and then how far he's willing to take it. Um, but I'm willing to bet that there was no there was no demon in heaven or hell, well, in hell uh, or, in, or roaming the earth that was going to keep God from performing his purpose. If it was Jacob that he wanted, Jacob, it would have been. But because they interfered and because they were so stuck on doing things wrong and so stuck on self. And we're going to talk. I'm really excited to talk about the semantics of this because it gets really good to me, especially when we get to verse 26 and 27, chapters 26 and 27. And I think we may hang out there for a little bit here uh, because they do go really well together. But when we start seeing um, all of these things unfold and, and open up and, and all this stuff, they played with the sovereign plan. Now God is going to have his way regardless, but they play with, and I'm just curious, just out of curiosity, what would have happened if they would have let God be God? Anyway, anyway, moving on, moving on. He asked him, he asked him, let me have your, 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 your birthright as of this day. And you know, that wasn't even really a big deal to Esau because Esau, you know, he wasn't really concerned with the birthright. You know, he, he like he lived by, you know, he liked to go hunt and the fish, he wasn't really wowed by a whole bunch of other stuff. 
at that point, you know, he when he loses his birthright, he's going to be grieved. And he's not going to get along with his brother. But at this point, like, he's really not concerned with it. He's, like, trying to live his life as he is. But Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is a birthright to me? You know, and, and let's be, I mean, that's fair. Um, if you feel like you're about to die, a birthright is not going to do you much good if you die today because you're never going to get to enjoy it. You're never going to get to experience the, the, you know, the benefit of it all, right? So Jacob said, sell me your, your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is a birthright to me? And then Jacob said, swear to, swear to me this day. And he swore to him and sold him the birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau the bread and stew and lentils. Then he ate and drank and rose and went away, went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And and so that kind of, that ends chapter 25. And so we it closes the scene where basically G, uh, Jacob has duped Esau out of his birth out of what was rightly his for coming out of the womb first. Now, yeah, they shared the womb. Yes, they were warring in the womb, and it seemed like they were fighting trying to get out of the womb because it, Jacob is grabbing Esau's foot, and so they're probably having a baby argument in the womb. Um, and so years and years later, after they are grown and they have made, they have already determined their own personal identities. They are still fighting over who is supposed to be first. Uh, but Jacob does some really underhanded stuff here. Like that's that was wrong. Like that was that was sick. <laughs> um, I don't think that that was that was the right way to go about it. And, and I'm willing to bet that that's not what God told him to do. But he did what he wanted to do anyway uh, because he thought he knew better, which is not good, not good at all. Uh, but but we get on the verse chapter 26. Okay. Chapter 26, verse 1 starts here, and it says, There was a famine in line besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech and uh, of the king of the Philistines in Gerar. A place, and now look, 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 look. You remember there was this uh, famine when God first gives Canaan, or first promises Canaan to Abraham when he first moves there, right? And, and then the famine happens, and then Abraham forgets all about the faith that he has and about this God who has been faithful to him and God who has been providing for him all this time. This God has given him all his promises, and he goes to Egypt because he gets nervous. Uh, and he, he decides he doesn't want to go there. And then he picks up, you know, they pick up Hagar, and if they would have never gone and they would have never lost faith, they never picked up Hagar, never been no Ishmael, would probably wouldn't have a whole bunch of fighting in the Middle East, but because of that one mistake, we got chaos, right? Right, mm. So we see here uh, that <laughs> Isaac is making the same mistakes his daddy made. He goes there, um, and this is a place for backsliding for Isaac, just like it was a place for backsliding for Abraham. And it's the only place that he goes and he doesn't build an altar. You know, I, it's, it's just a place of messing up. Like, they just go there and they lose all their religion. They just forget everything they've been taught, right? Verse 2, Then the Lord appears to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I should tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to your to Abraham, your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge and my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. 
Now, we can note here that he's encouraging him to be faithful. He's, he's reminding him of everything that his, he told his daddy. And so if anything was lost in translation between Abraham to Isaac, God is coming back to confirm everything that he has done. I think that we can take pointers here that often God does not move as quickly as we thought he might because he promised us he was going to make us father of many nations. And so we assumed that that was going to happen tomorrow. Uh, we didn't account for process and we didn't, we didn't, um, we didn't account for the things that had to take place first in order for it to make sense. And so he came to promise. He said, look, I made a promise. I'm faithful to keep my promises. You were a promise. You were fulfilled. You took forever. Don't you just trust me. Just don't leave. I told you to stay here. And so, <laughs> so, um, Isaac verse six, he says, so Isaac dwelt in Gerar verse seven. And then the men of the place asked about his wife and he said, she is my sister. For he was afraid to say she is my wife because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me for Rebecca because she is beautiful to behold. Sound familiar? Him and uh, Abraham and Sarah went through the same mess, still making the same mistakes for the lack of faith that they got. Um, and, and that's like this, like how, how after God has talked to you and you have seen his work, you have seen him move mountains, you have seen him do amazing things and you still, 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 still fall. Like what? Why? What? Why? How? Um, but the Philistines looked through a window and saw that there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah. I think one version said he was rubbing her back. Um, and then Abimelech called to Isaac and said, quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. Which, you know, I say Abraham and Isaac are probably not the best examples of husbands because we know later that Christ and the church is supposed to be the template for marriage. And Christ for the church is like he was willing to die for his wife. Um, he died for his wife, you know, the church. And so men were supposed to lay down their wives for their wives in protection of her. And if you're going to be a covering, you know, these are some wimpy men. Um, <laughs> and that's just, that's, that, no, that, that's in the cold, that, that, that's me pulling it out. And, uh, but, 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 and from what I see, and that's, that's just me, me reading between the lines. Dude, don't take that. Don't go tell somebody that that's the gospel. And that's what I'm teaching. Um, verse eight, uh, actually, no, no, no. Verse 10. And Abimelech said, what is this that you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt on, on us. So Abimelech charged all his people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. Now check this out. There was a promise of blessing before he arrived. It was not conditional on him lying. It wasn't conditional on him acting right. Their promise was already on the land. The land, it was already promised, just like the anointing is on the word. And just like when God says he's going to do something somewhere, he's going to do it come hell or high water. It doesn't matter which vessel he has to use. If he says he's going to bless a person, he's going to bless that person. And if you refuse to be the means by which he blesses him, he's going to pick somebody else. Just like if God says he's going to deliver the uh, children of Egypt, if, um, most since Moses, you know, copped out at one point and uh, he struck the rock and so he couldn't go in there and he found disobedience. God, that didn't mean that God was going to stop delivering the children out of Israel. I mean, out of Egypt. He still delivered them in it just because he had to pass the mantle on to somebody else and he wasn't allowed to enter the promised land. That didn't mean that the, the promise was negated. When God decides that he's going to do something and he's going to bless a situation, he's going to move, come hell or high water, there is nothing that can stand between you, between you and what God has promised you to do. When God says that he's going to do something, when he says that he's going to bless you, when he says that he's going to move, you better believe that he's going to do just what 
he said. Now, whether what he said happens on your terms or on his terms, that's on him. And it's always going to be his terms. So you might as well just get get on board and understand that he's going to move according to his time. But understand, if God fixes his mouth to promise you anything, you can count it just as well. Count it as done. And I think we lose that some side of that sometimes because we are carnal people. We are spiritual people in carnal bodies. And so sometimes our carnality tries to speak louder than our spirituality. And as our carnality is trying to speak louder than our spirituality, we miss the beautiful promises that God has done. God said, I will bless you. If you now, here, now check this, y'all. God says that he says, if you seek me first, I'll give you all of these things. Seek me in my kingdom and I'll give you all the things that you're over here working for. But some of us are so stuck on trying to fulfill carnality and we're so stuck on trying to get make ourselves happy and focused on the things that we miss the things because we ain't focused on the God. And, and so much of that, we see that here in scripture, we see that in life, I promise we see it all over the place and that we miss some stuff. But y'all check this out. The land was not blessed because of Isaac. The land was blessed because God made a promise. Isaac didn't do anything great. We're not going to see Jacob. We're going to see Jacob is just as screwy as he wants to be. Now, Joseph was a pretty stand up guy, but even in his stand up guidance, he's probably had some issues too. But there was nothing about them that warranted the blessing that God gave. God just parted his mouth and he said, you know what? I like you. Let me show you some favor. I'm going to cause my, my, my blessings and my miracles to flow through you. You're a willing enough vessel. I'll make it work. And I think if you, if you really want to see God move in your mouth, say, God, I'm, I'm a willing and ready vessel. Use me and watch him move through you. All right. Right, right back to verse 13. Verse 13, the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. So he started making some money. And for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and great numbers of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us. For you are much mightier than we. So he's in a foreign land, still, still in Canaan, still, still among where, where uh, God has promised him. And he's becoming bigger than the locals. You know, at one point he had to humble himself and buy land. His daddy had to buy land from, from the other people. But he's, he's, God is blessing him because he's promised that he was going to bless him. He's flourishing because God said he would flourish. Um, it was not through any goodness of his. And so he, he's, he's prospering and he's thriving. And so the folks want him to leave. So then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water, which he had dug for days of Abraham, his father. Then the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. Also, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. How dare they? So he called the name of the well Essek because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well and they quarreled over that one and quarreled over it. And so they called it Rehoboth because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. And then he went up there to Beersheba. And the Lord answered to him the same line and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. And he pitched his tent there and Isaac's servants dug a well. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar and Ahazoth. 
one of his friends of Phicol, um, and the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? But they said, we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, let us, let there be now an oath between us, between you and us. Let us make a covenant with you. And I'm going to pause right there. And so you see that these people have been fighting with him because they see him flourishing. They see him doing well. They see the hand of God upon him. And at first they see, they see jealousy. So they're trying to stop him. That sounds so familiar. So many of us find ourselves in situations where God is blessing us and people hate us. God is blessing us and he's moving and they're trying to find something wrong with us. They're trying to stop you. They're trying to hold you back and they're trying to keep you from everything that God has done for you to everything that he's built in you, every door that he's opened in you. And, and they're, they're trying to stop you, but there is no force on heaven or earth that can stop you because God is with you. And if God before you, who can be against you? And so they're seeing here and he's still plunging on. They ask him to leave and he leaves. They go and they plug up his well and he go digs another well. He goes and he plants other things. He's becoming really wealthy. It doesn't matter how many people have an issue with him. And see, so, so many of us get so stuck on the people and what the people are doing to us that we will walk away from what God is doing. We're so stuck on, on so embarrassed by how they're trying to embarrass us that we, 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 we'll go ab abandon the good thing that God is doing. We're so humiliated by what man is saying that we'll step away from where God wants us to be. But if you'll just hang in there to what God has called you to do, if, you, if you'll just hang in there to where God is trying to get you to, you'll see all the, the mighty wonders of what God is trying to do in your life. I promise you. And, and, and what's amazing to me is that when God gets ready to move, he moves indeed. There is nothing that can stop him. So we see, we see all these marvelous things happening. And then they, they finally realize that the Lord, and look, this is capital L-O-R-D. This ain't little L-O-R-D. This is capital L-O-R-D. We see that the Lord is with you. And because we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you, let there now be an oath between us, between you and us. Let's make covenant. After a while, when people see that God is with you, after they didn't try to fight you, they're going to realize that I'm better off with you. And they're going to they're going to come in with an act of unity because we know that where there is unity, God is blessing that thing. And after a while, if you'll stand firm with God, whatever it is that you're standing on, people, he said, if you will lift me. I'll draw all men unto me. If you'll stand fast and where God has told you to be men will start coming and they'll start getting on there. So they said, let's, let's make covenant and that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you, since we have not done nothing to you, but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed, the blessed of the Lord. So we know that there's this blessing on Abraham's seed. We know that God has already declared it and they have gotten weary at times and they've gotten scared at famine time. But even though they've gotten scared at famine time and they've gotten uneasy, we know that God is indeed faithful. And because we know God is indeed faithful, they didn't have anything to worry about. All they had to know is that God was, was going to do exactly what he said. All right. Verse 30. And he made them a feast and they ate and drank and they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another. And Isaac sent them away and they departed to him in peace. Verse 32. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug. And they said to him, we have found water. And so they called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba, the well of the covenant <laughs> to this day. Um, Verse 34, Esau was full. Well, well, hold on, hold on. 
Um, and so we start to look at that. We can see that after it, you look, and, and this, this is my whole point in this, this whole little portion of scripture, y'all. If you understand that God is faithful and if you understand when God makes the promise, all it requires is that you stay with God. You know, a lot of us will start with God, but a lot of us forget to stay with God. Stuff gets hairy, it gets fuzzy, and we want to run. And let me just be transparent. I've been going through some stuff the last six, seven, maybe eight months. And in these last six, seven, eight months, it has been hard to pray. I pray, but it's been hard to pray. It's been hard to read the word. It's been hard to get in the, get in the word and get in the face of God. Because when you know that God promised you X and, and it looks like ain't nothing, no X, Y, or Z happening. It's, it's so, so hard, so hard, so, so, so hard to remain faithful. And so when we, when we realize that there is no place that you can't go, that God won't keep you, that he won't protect you, and that his word is it, it is not capable of returning void. And when you hold on to that, ain't nowhere you can't go. All right. Moving on, moving on. Verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he took as wives Judith, the daughter of Biri the Hittite, and Basemoth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they were a grief to the, of the mind of Isaac and Rebekah. Uh... So Isaac was never seen outside of land. Isaac didn't take no, no foreign wives. Um, and, and the fact that they took wives that were not of their, of their tribe, of their kin, of their kind, that bothered them to no end. And, and you'll see as we start getting into Jewish law and Jewish rules, um, they, they're not really big fans of all of that, <laughs> that mess. <laughs> no, they don't play that. <laughs> um, but here, I want to pull these points. We know that that man, that Isaac was the man of the well. I don't know if you were counting, but there were seven wells, no more, no less. Uh, he was the man who was reopening wells that were no longer op op open. And he was making sure that water was flowing, that, that, that there was water. So we know this is a carnal water. But we know in the... In the New Testament, Jesus was the man of the well too, but he was giving them a water that they would never quench no more. So that makes Isaac a type or a model of Christ, okay? And and, and you remember, I'm always saying that um, Genesis is a not only a book of record, but it's a book of prophecy. And this is a, pro a, a prophecy to the fact that he was going to be um, the water that you would never have to thirst anymore. Um, but he sets up this scene that wells have significance here in Genesis so that when we see it in the New Testament, it won't be foreign. Um, Abraham was the man of the altar and Jacob was the man of the tent. But Isaac was the man of the well. I think it's beautiful. I think it's I think it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, when we start looking at scripture, I just think it's, it's, it's one of those things we can hold on to. Now, look, y'all, we when we get back, when we come back on the next week, the next episode, we're going to pick up right here. We got a good bit to talk about. I'm really excited about it. I Hold on to this. Remember, Isaac was the man of the well and Abraham was the man of the altar and Jacob was the man of the tent. And when we get to this, when we get to chapter 27 and 28, we're going to talk about how that birth really left the hands of of uh, Esau and got in the hands of Jacob. We talked about the, the, the conniving conversation that they had, but we're going to get into some other things next week. You do not want to miss it. Bible school is where we need to be. When we are intelligent and we are educated Christians, we can defend and we can live this gospel. If it's not on the inside and you don't understand it, how can you live something you don't understand? Y'all, I'm Reverend Kojo, and this is Bible school. Y'all be blessed.